All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 26th of February, 2019. I always like to remind you, I write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And you can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter. It's uh, really its focus uh, largely on biotechs, but also on some energy uh, stocks and uh, some gold and silver mining shares as well. Um, I'll be meeting up with Chen actually at the, uh, at the PDAC conference in Toronto this weekend and uh, perhaps pass along some of his ideas to you next week. I uh, do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, encourage you to continue sending along your comments and whatever comments you have to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. This week's sponsors are RN Resources, Novo Resources, Triumph Gold, Gold Mining Inc., Great Bear Resources, Uranium Energy, and Miramont Resources. I've titled today's show, Two Phenomenal Gold Deposits You Need to Own. Dr. Quentin Henning and Chris Taylor uh, will be with me, as uh, will Michael Oliver, all return guests uh, this week. Two of the most exciting new gold discoveries to come along in years, if not decades, will be discussed today. After our first commercial break, I will be talking to Chris Taylor, President and CEO of Great Bear Resources. Great Bear has discovered a gold deposit on the... It's called the Dixie Project in the Red Lake District of Ontario. What makes this story so exciting is not only the phenomenal high-grade gold drill results that have been reported, but the fact that the deposits have all the geological, uh, that the geology of this project is, has all the geological earmarks of the great Red Lake gold deposit that was the company making deposit for Gold Corp. I believe the uh, Dixie deposit may have the same potential for this very tiny company, Great Bear Resources. It still only has 36.3 million shares outstanding, leaving it with a relatively low market cap. Then during the uh, the last segment of today's show, I'll be talking to Dr. Quentin Henning, who's been on the show many times in the past. He is the chairman and president of Novo Resources. The greatest gold deposit in the history of humankind has been the Great Whitwaters Rand deposit in South Africa. From that conglomerate deposit, something like 40% of all the gold ever mined in the history of humankind has come. It come from that relatively small area known as the Whitwaters ran area of South Africa. Naturally, many have wondered if there could be another such deposit somewhere on the face of the earth. And when Dr. Henning had worked in the past for Newmont Mining, he was given the resources to scour the globe in search for the next Whitwaters ran deposit, should it exist. During the down cycles, of course, major mining companies cut exploration expenditures in quest of meeting quarterly earnings targets. And so after leaving Newmont, Dr. Henning went to work with various junior mining companies, but always retained what he learned in his head and always retained his, the information that he gathered uh, in a constant search for the next Whitwaters Rand gold deposit. Now, over the years, he realized that the conventional wisdom about how so much gold was accumulated in the Whitwaters Rand just simply didn't make sense. The theories didn't add up to how there could be so much gold in one small area, relatively small area. So he came up with his own theories um, about how 
the Witwaters ran was formed. Specifically, Dr. Henning came up with the theory that the gold was deposited at the Witwaters ran around 2.7 billion years ago as photosynthesis began to take place on the Earth. The presence of oxygen began to change the chemistry of the ocean such that an ocean very pregnant with lots of gold and other minerals, but gold in this case, started to precipitate out and be absorbed on the early plant life at the bottom of a shallow sea. So given this theory, Henning surmised that what he needed to look for were rocks of 2.7 billion years of age in a large ancient shallow seabed. It was that theory that took him to the Pilbar Craton in Western Australia. While there are notable differences now between what Novo Resources has discovered, the gold deposit there uh, in Northwestern Australia with the Witwaters Rand, there are also many similarities with the Wits discovery. Most importantly, what he has discovered is an enormous gold system in Australia that stretches for hundreds of square kilometers. Now, one of the major differences between the gold at Whitwater's Rand and in the conglomerate rocks in Australia is that the Australian gold mineralization is much more coarse, which represents or presents a sampling challenge, um, a very, very significant sampling challenge. But Henning's Novo Resources is applying new technologies to overcome those challenges. Quinton is very optimistic about the company in 2019, so I hope that you'll stick around to listen to his remarks in the last segment of today's show. But right now, I'm pleased to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us once again to help us uh, ferret out the markets now and where they're going in the short term. We have to take a lot of time uh, to uh, to follow companies that are discovering gold deposits, but we also want to keep our eyes on what's going on day to day in the markets, and Michael is always well, thankfully, he's almost always here to help us ferret that out. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Good to be back, and it's always good to tell our listeners that they should go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com to catch up with what Michael's doing and to take advantage of the products that he provides there. Michael, uh, earlier this month, you sent out a, a price and momentum chart that really captured my attention. It showed three points in time when your momentum charts uh, we're turning you positive towards gold. And what really stands out in my mind is uh, is a distinct breakout on the last one that you sent, the last point of entry. You're suggesting to people that they sort of layer themselves into the gold market on the long side. But the last one that you sent out, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, it really showed a distinct breakthrough in momentum. And even though at this point in time, from a price chart perspective, gold still has not has not penetrated through about $350, a $1,350 level that is sort of held to be key. So talk to us a little bit about those three areas. And are, how confident are you, Michael, that anytime soon we might break through that 1350 level? Gee, I'm, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> uh, I'd say very. Um, the momentum usually leads price breakouts, uh, both the tops and bottoms. And uh, we had a, a major first buy signal for gold was in, first time we got bearish in 2012, big time, early 2012, mm-hmm. uh, between 1650 and 1700. So we're, we're two-sided on gold. Uh, I do fundamentally like it. I see its reason for being, and I have a, <clears throat> I think it's vast bull market ahead of it. It's going to be the biggest of all we've ever seen. Uh, but uh, we are flexible. So for instance, we were bearish from 2012 through 2016. In February 2016, mm-hmm. gold came up through 1140 in February of 2016, uh, about $90 off its bare low, and we broke our annual momentum out. Now, if you look at a price chart at that point in time, there was nothing particularly important going on, but of course, gold gushed, went up $200 more, 1370s. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> since then, gold has entered what we consider just a massive price base. It's not gone back to its bare low. Uh, the closest it came was in late 2016, but it didn't get there. And then last summer, went down to uh, 1161, which was sort of in the middle of this big clump of ink that goes back to late 2015 and spans the four or five years. But if you look at a price chart of gold, which is what everybody does, I suggest your listeners go uh, Google up a chart on uh, weekly or monthly of gold. At least go back to 2013 so you can see the crash from the mm-hmm. uh, 1700s and then down into the 1100s. But since 2014... Gold has rallied repeatedly every year above 1350 at a 
slightly descending line across every year's highs for the last five years, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. It's, mm-hmm. It probably declines about a half percent a year, so it's almost flat, this line. Mm-hmm. Everybody can see it. Yeah. Uh, when we dropped to the 1160 low last summer, last August, when the S&P was making its high, by the way, August, September, mm-hmm. uh, gold was making a low, and gold came up out of there quietly, firmly but quietly. There was no excitement, no bells ringing, no particular chart points on the price charts anyway, but we had a multiple layer of buy signals or breakout levels that you could clearly see on a momentum chart. So if you look at price, you didn't see anything breaking out above, but on momentum, you had very clear structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you didn't have to be a professional. You just had to see the chart. And each of those signals, one of them was above 1,200 in October, above 1,240 later that month, and above 1,280 in December. So we had three buy signals, average price 1,240. Mm-hmm. We have no more momentum buy signals. We're fully positive. Now what you have is what everybody can see, the price chart. And that trend line comes through roughly around 1,350, give or take, uh, and everybody can see it. Well, we went up last week to a high. It was 13.45, uh, I believe, was the top tick on the spot gold contract. So it got very close to the line, and they took it down real hard for two days. Now, we stopped going down. Uh, see, that was Wednesday, Thursday. We stopped going down on Friday, again yesterday, and again today. It's no longer going down. So the sell-off was real rapid, but it was only a percent or so. Mm-hmm. Immediately, the buyers came in again. And this is the tone of gold for the last six, seven, eight months. It can't get a sharp break. You can back mm-hmm. it up a percent or so, but every time you think you've got it going on the downside, something stops it. Firm bidding. Somebody's moving into gold. I don't mean somebody, mm-hmm. but a lot of people, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think they see asset class shift underway, and they're moving into gold. And mm-hmm. even the S&P rally, which we would think would uh, discourage the gold rally, didn't nor did firmness in the dollar index stop gold from having this rally. By the way, the dollar index now looks like it's ready to roll over um, mm. and help assist gold. I think that the last run-up we had last week to approach that, that line that goes back five years was the last time you're going to approach that line. In other words, we're going through the line. And that selling mm-hmm. that we got last week, I think, is sort of your last-ditch sellers. And my, my comment to them would be this. We shouldn't have come back up here, guys. When you had gold broken down to 1160, if you're bearish, and I had a lot of people, hedge fund managers and uh, people sending me emails and so forth, say gold's going to make new lows, take out a thousand, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and we sure. politely said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> we have other yes, reasons to assume it's going up. Uh, that, I think, that type of selling against that line that's been hit so many times is what I would call idiot selling. I mean, when you get a line that obvious, on a price chart that goes back that far, and it's been used so many times as a point of selling. Mm-hmm. Don't count on it holding me back forever, forever. We should not have come back up to that line. That mm-hmm. indicates to me that even price has intent to go through. Right. Uh, and I think it's going to happen uh, in, in, late this month or in March. We'll go through that line. And when mm-hmm. we do, I expect a gusher. Because I what would, you, what would be your price sideline. target then, Michael? What, what's on the upside then once we get through that 1350 I'll give you a couple numbers. I think, first <laughs> off, we're going to 1700 on this, this particular move. I think mm-hmm. you might uh, find a breather in between, like in the low 1500s. But I think once you clear that 1350, 60 stuff, and the public wakes up and fund managers wake up and so forth, there's going to be so little selling on the other side of that line for quite a bit that it could mm-hmm. gush. It mm-hmm. could have a reverse of what it did in 2013, which is to say it crashed. Gold went from the 1700s down to the 1100s in a matter of a handful of months. In fact, about three months. Uh, right. I'd expect the reverse of that on the upside. Now, All right, Michael. You're going to stop at 1700, by the way. But that's just that's your, That would be your first major target. Yeah, the first major target's that level. <laughs> with a stop halfway between the breakout level and 1700. So something right. like the low 1500s. So. Michael, with 30 seconds, um, in your 360 weekend report, you said gold is not waiting. What did you mean? Uh, waiting for the fundamentals that justify it. In other words, we, it, it, people think you need to have consumer price inflation or something to justify a uh-huh. gold move. Or you have to have a collapsing dollar to justify a gold move. Well, none of those things have been happening, yet gold's moving. It's not waiting on it. It knows mm-hmm. what's happening and what's going to happen. It's anticipating, and it's anticipating correctly, in my view. So mm-hmm. the events you wanted to have to justify gold to get here, you're going to get them, but you're going to get them, and it's too late. All right. It's going to be in the oh. 1400s. <laughs> okay. All right. 
Okay, very good, Michael. We'll have to leave it okay. go at that. Thank you so much Thank for you. sharing your wisdom on the on the gold markets in particular. We didn't have time to get to the others, but uh, perhaps next week. Thank you so much for being with us. So, Thank folks, you, don't go away. we got to go to commercial break. The Chris Taylor, the president and CEO of Great Bear Resources, uh, one of the most exciting junior exploration companies out there. He'll be with me right after the break, so don't go away. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on their wholly owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario, Canada. Recent drill results yielded an impressive 1,600 grams per ton gold over 0.7 meters near surface. GBR is fully funded to drill 300-plus holes this year. McEwen Mining is a significant shareholder following a $5.7 million investment as part of a recent $10 million financing. Visit greatbearresources.ca. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Chris Taylor. He's the president and CEO of Great Bear Resources. Chris is a structural geologist and a, a fairly young man who's uh, having a lot of success early in his career. And uh, well, we're just really excited to have him with us again uh, to talk about Great Bear Resources, which is a sponsor of this show. It's also a company that I have recommended to my subscribers and also own uh, share is myself, which I've purchased off the market because I find this such an exciting story. Great Bear trades in Toronto under the symbol GBR. You can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol GTBDF. 36.2 million shares outstanding. Earlier today when I checked, it was selling at around $2.75 in U.S. money, giving it a market cap of a little under, just a whisker under $100 million in U.S. funds. So, Chris, thanks for joining me again. Thanks very much, Jay. It's great to be on the show again. It's great to have you, and I guess you're at the BMO, the B, the BMO conference, as it's called, uh, in Florida. Uh, things, how are things down there at the conference? Well, I have to tell you, it's uh, some of the most exciting uh, presentations I saw back to back yesterday morning, and it was Newmont and then Barrick uh, speaking uh, to each other. We, we didn't see any actual fisticuffs occur, but uh, <laughs> you know, it could have come to that come to that point. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Hostile, uh, a hostile move on Barrick's part to try to to grab Newmont. I honestly hope it doesn't happen because uh, companies that are exploring and developing projects, I like to see as many uh, potential suitors out there for those smaller companies as possible. But in any event, you have a very exciting yeah. story. Now, I received an email from Dr. John Mark Stoudy, who I'm sure you probably know. Uh, he's an exploration geologist as well. He sent me uh, a comment and a question that he thought I should pass on to you. John Mark stated, and this would be directed to you, Chris, he said, excellent work by you and Bob Singh on the structural geology uh, and the hinge zone. Why do you think that you found this when others had not? And in the coming two years, where do you see the company progressing? If you want to take the first question first, and maybe we can get into where you see the longer term over the next two years where the company's going. But 
why did you why were you able to find this? You know, one of the things that really impressed me, Chris, and why I got excited about your story early on, and when Gwen Preston introduced you up at the Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver uh, last year sometime, I believe it was, uh, early in the year perhaps, was that almost every drill hole you put down, if not every drill hole, was hitting mineralization, hitting the structure that you intended to hit. So I guess I would like to just, uh, again, pass along the question, what do you think, why do you think you were able to find this uh, this structure, this rich gold-bearing structure, and others were not? Well, that's a great question. I guess it's really uh, what did we do differently, and uh, then we can go into the metrics long term. So uh, effectively, when we took on the project, we benefited from having uh, over 150 drill holes uh, in it already. So that was over... Um, you know, over a couple kilometers of area, and a lot of mm-hmm. them concentrated in one place. Now, you know, the technology changes over time, right? So uh, back in the early days when this was discovered in the 1980s, um, the, the thing that makes our project sort of stand apart from some of the other major gold discoveries in that Red Lake district, it is one of the best mining districts in, in Canada, but uh, our project doesn't have a lot of bedrock exposure. There's a few feet to sometimes uh, a couple tens of feet of uh, sand and gravel that covers mm-hmm. the bedrock. So you just don't see it on surface. You can walk around there all day and uh, you'll see trees or where there used to be trees, it's all been logged. Uh, and you won't really see much in the way of uh, bedrock geology. So um, people were effectively drilling off of geophysics in a really magnetic group of rocks. And what mm-hmm. that means is that a lot of the historical drill holes were just sort of in the wrong place. And when we took on the project, we could see that out of those 150 holes, uh, the majority of them had gold in them, which is really unusual over such a big area. Uh, but mm-hmm. because there was mistakes in where the holes were supposed to be, um, it didn't look like it had sort of the excellent continuity and the high-grade gold uh, continuity that we see now. So basically, we fixed up old data, we used modern technology, and we used our experience with structural geology, geochemistry, and uh, some of the crew that we have uh, who are, uh, they've been working in the Red Lake area for a long time to be able to predict uh, where these high-grade zones would be. And lo and behold, uh, drilling off of that uh, reinterpretation, we were and uh, continue to be uh, very successful. Yeah, you just—I mean, it's just amazingly. Uh, almost every, as I say, almost every drill uh, hole that you put down uh, hit gold mineralization. It's just uh, the last time I heard of such consistency was with Briex, and I said, I don't think this is a Briex. <laughs> thankfully, it's not. <laughs> Um, oh now, Chris, your, your grades your, your yeah. grades have been phenomenal. I mean, this is what's got me and everybody so excited. For example, you have had insane grades like 50 ounces per ton over smaller intersections, and that has brought a lot of yeah. attention to your stock. But what really matters from an economic perspective is consistency and continuity of grade over sizable structures. Can you comment on that issue and, and perhaps also give us an idea of the true widths of the gold-hosted structures that you're encountering? Oh, for sure, Jay. Uh, what we're seeing is effectively uh, some of the main uh, types of structural geology that control where the big mines in the area are located. Those big structures we also see on our project. So when we got involved, uh, that was not generally known, uh, that we had these big structural features, these big folds and these big felts that are so important to basically provide uh, the interpreted plumbing for what brings the gold from deep in the crust and puts it uh, where we're seeing it today, right near the surface. So um, we began to find that we had these big features, and we began to think big. You know, when you take on a project, you're often very conservative when you start doing the work, because obviously, you know, when you, uh, you know, sort of put a new company together, you want to make sure that you're growing investor value and you're being careful about it, and, uh, you know, it's like uh, growing a child in uh, very many ways. So we began stepping out and uh, consistently hitting gold, reinterpreting. And then we began to think, what if this project is more like, uh, say, like Big Mine uh, that Gold Corp operates in the district? Mm-hmm. So effectively, when we switched over our thinking, uh, we began to see that there was large-scale potential, and we began to drill along some of the primary structural trends. And one of those trends is one of the largest uh, deep-seated fault systems in the district. There are basically two of them. One of them looks like it lines up most of the major mines that are in the Red Lake camp, which um, for those of your listeners that are not terribly familiar with Red Lake, that would be a 
global resource of over 50 million ounces, five zero million ounces of gold uh, in known resource, and over 33 zero million ounces of gold uh, produced. So we began to, to see that we had these sort of big structural features, and that really explained, because there's only two locations in the district where they're present, why you get so much gold in our project. And that means that it uh, has big-scale potential, but also the structural potential for a lot of on-strike uh, continuity. And that's really the explanation for why we keep hitting the, the gold consistently, is because the area has been very well provided with uh, structural controls and gold-bearing fluids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, I saw in your uh, February 21st uh, news release that you just put out, uh, you noted a 42-meter width wide zone with multiple gold-bearing intercepts, including a 31.6 grams over 3.4 meters. And in that press release, there was also reference to a south limb zone that is continuous with the hinge zone. Is, uh, is the merger of those two zones what accounts for this? Uh, I think this is wider than anything you've seen so far, uh, I think. If, if, am I right about that? That's correct. Uh, those are mostly nomenclature, so effectively it looks like one big uh, gold-bearing vein system of multiple veins sort of, uh, you know, either coming together or going apart, and um, the term we use in geology is anastomosing, and effectively that's a technical term for wiggling. So they wiggle their way along a trend, and sometimes mm-hmm. they're wider, sometimes they're narrower, sometimes there's one of them, and sometimes, like in that news release, there's four of them uh, stacked up together. And that, that really is, for the Red Lake District especially, most of the mining, uh, even if you think about Gold Corp and uh, the main Red Lake gold mine, most of the mining and most of the gold zones that they've mined are between half a meter, 0.5 meters, and two meters in width. If you read their technical report, which is on their website, that's the information that they provide in the technical report. So when we begin to see veins that are much, uh, you know, larger than that and vein zones uh, that are up to 40 meters wide, which is 130-odd feet wide, I mean, it shows you the potential scale of what we're dealing with here and certainly that it's a big, robust gold system. Uh, Chris, also, I believe when Gold Corp first started encountering those really high grades, they were considerable depth compared to where you're finding gold. Am I right about that? Absolutely, Jay. I mean, some of that uh, drilling that they did, some of those discoveries are over one mile uh, vertically down in the earth. And that that really adds to the operational costs that they have to endure when they're mining it. Regardless, um, you know, there was a period of about a decade from the early 2000s to about 2014 where even down at those depths, because of the high Red Lake-style grades, uh, the main Red Lake gold mine was probably the most profitable gold mining operation on the planet, even at those depths. But the Hmm. difference is, with our discovery, is that it basically goes right to surface. So um, we've been drilling gold off. Uh, We know some of the historic uh, areas were even trenched with an excavator. They had high grades going right to surface. So where we're drilling now from about zero meters depth to about 300 meters depth, we keep consistently hitting these uh, high-grade bearing uh, quartz vein systems. And uh, that's really exciting because it takes that discovery potential and brings it right up to surface where, you know, I'd say potentially uh, that would be very good for the project over the long term, uh, kind of uh, economically. Absolutely. Well, can you give us an idea of what the footprint is so far? What uh, I, I noticed back in June, you added two, a little over 2,000 hectares uh, onto your Dixie project. Obviously, you must be seeing something or believing that the current existing structures might extend further. But can you give us an idea of how? what is the uh, area, the surface area that you've drilled on so far, and how much bigger is the target that you're looking at uh, from surface? Well, we've drilled across about uh, two and a half kilometers of strike length so far, and uh, that's been uh, really remarkable because we've hit gold in every hole. I mean, not every hole is uh, what we'd call a screamer. Some of them are quite, uh, you know, some of them are very, very uh, well mineralized, and some of them go down to, you know, a meter of a gram and then up to many meters of many ounces. Uh, But, you know, two and a half kilometers uh, drilled strike length on a gold system, it's big. And that, that, that parallels uh, that big structural feature that I was telling you about. That big structure on the project is probably about 20 kilometers long. So, um, you know, while we've had a really good success rate and we found new zones, um, our project, that Dixie property, 
is about 10,000 hectares, so about 23 kilometers long by, well, it varies in width, but several kilometers wide, and there are multiple targets on it. So it's a combination of effectively drilling more uh, of the high-grade gold on the zones you've already found and stepping out and testing new areas that have the same kind of structural controls and look like good potential hosts for mineralization. And some of those early step-outs that we did, they were hitting nice gold uh, way out, you know, two and a half kilometers away. So, uh, you know, very exciting the way it's coming together. Boy, absolutely is exciting. Uh, I see in your press release you talked about uh, a 30,000-meter drill program uh, that is to last through, I guess, through this year and maybe into 2020. Um, what yep. will be the objective of that? Uh, and and do you foresee any, uh, are, are you planning anytime soon a resource? Uh, effectively, that program uh, would be, it's probably about a, a $5 million uh, Canadian uh, budget that we have for that. And as you know, Jay, I mean, we currently have about $15 uh, million in our treasury and um, a bunch of uh, warrants that are owned by uh, Rob McEwen and, and management largely that could bring in another $8 million or so. They're all wow, nice. uh, in the money. Uh, so, you know, collectively in Canadian dollar terms, that's about $15 million to about $22 million uh, that we have available. So you can see, you know, we'd be able to expand that drill program that we've announced uh, pretty, well, very substantially by, by multiples uh, without having to go back to the market for more financings. So what we'd like to do with that drilling is effectively twofold. Uh, one of them will be testing these new targets across the project. So that's exploration, like pure exploration. And we've had some very nice early successes with that. The other one is effectively definition-type drilling and extension along strike and down dip on the zones that we've already found. So that will, uh, in future, uh, generate a resource. Um, are we at the resource point yet? No, uh, but we are putting together uh, mineralized volumes of rock very quickly uh, with the hit rate that we have and the consistency that we're seeing. Um, it, it's been very uh, attractive what's uh, coming out of the ground so far. I can get into that in a little bit more detail if you want to hear some of those statistics too. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, <clears throat> there's, there's a sense that, the, that this system could go to great depth, I'm, I'm sure, but your focus at this point in time is just laterally pretty much, right? To, what, 300 meters or so you say you're, d- you're drilling to? <clears throat> uh, yeah, we, we've drilled down to about 300 meters in depth, but we know the other local uh, gold mines, the other gold deposits, um, there's gold down to many kilometers as drilled to date along some of these major structures and major controls. Red Lake is very well known for having great vertical extent, so we would anticipate, and, you know, obviously you need to prove it with drilling, but we would anticipate based on the similarities that we are seeing that we have great depth extent as well. But yeah, in, in the short term, in order to figure out how big the system is that we're drilling and how many zones there are, um, it's shallower drilling initially uh, until we get a handle on that. Right now, the more we step out and the more we drill new areas, the more gold zones we've been finding. So uh, that's a process we'd like to see continue as well. I can't imagine. Uh, you're down at the, at the BMO conference. I can't imagine that there's not a lot of very interested companies uh, down there talking to you, interested in knowing more and probably picking your brain uh, in, in, in very technical terms, trying to understand as best they can um, what this uh, this freak of nature, it seems almost, uh, is all about. But um, <clears throat> let me just ask you then, getting back to John Mark Stoudy's question, where do you see the company going over the next two years? Well, it's a very good question. Um, you know, uh, one of the things we will be doing is constructing a resource, and the drilling that we're putting together is effectively doing that. Uh, the more zones we find, uh, the longer it takes to put it together, which is obviously a very nice problem to have. Uh, but that will come uh, over the next couple of years uh, once more drilling has been completed. Um, in the meantime, because it's such a new discovery and it's a new uh, company from the public awareness perspective, we'd like to get the word out, like for uh, people to be aware of what Great Bear is, uh, where we're working, and what the Dixie Project is that we're working on. So there's uh, a lot of introductions that have to be made. Word has to be gotten out. And uh, in particular, um, we've had uh, you know quite a bit of interest from uh, you know various large uh, mining uh, type uh, sort of corporate people and, uh, you know, obviously uh, people that do make large investments in uh, mining companies. So these are discussions that we're uh, beginning to have and uh, it's nice to see the awareness of the company and uh, the potential of the project and the company uh, get distributed a lot more 
that's, uh, that's a, a big changeover from when it was uh, just me and Bob Singh and uh, our board members, and we were working on the first, uh, say, 10 drill full program about a year and a half ago. Okay. This is just almost a freak of nature, it seems to me, Chris, that what you have here. Uh, would like to ask you, um, you have another project, uh, the West Madsen Gold Project, that uh, you know is in the same area. That, that project also seems to have some potential, but obviously you have your hands full with Dixie. Do you have any, um, do you have any plans for West Madsen? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, we uh, picked up uh, the West Madsen project because it's right adjacent to pure gold mining. Uh, they recently came out with a, uh, with a feasibility study on the first uh, sort of million ounces <coughs> of high-grade gold that they've defined uh, there. So, I mean, I think it's a strong study, and I think it's of interest to people. Um, so what we did was stake up the on-strike extension of some of these structures that we can see or we interpret through the geophysical data that we uh, have collected over the project and that is publicly available on their property. So we basically uh, staked uh, the West Madison projects to control the on-strike uh, extent of those gold, uh, gold-bearing structures uh, that they're working on. And they're drilling. Uh, Pure Gold is drilling about a kilometer and a half uh, from our claim boundary, so it's quite close uh, on what they call their wedge zone. So our plans for Madsen, uh, we'd like to see how it goes uh, with Pure Gold. We hope they're successful and manage to, um, you know, either place it uh, into production, expand the resources, or attract a corporate partner of some kind. So mm-hmm. if that occurs, it's uh, advantageous for us to have uh, the ground that's immediately adjacent to it that uh, potentially uh, could extend what they're working on. So um, there won't be any near-term drilling by us on West Madsen. As long as there's active work going on by Pure Gold on Madsen, I think that's probably the cheapest exploration uh, that Great Bear can conduct, yeah. um, you know, to be a bit cheeky about it. And uh, we're focusing our attention uh, you know, quite precisely on the Dixie property because of all the gold that we're finding there. My goodness, I guess so. You'd be foolish not to, and but to also have an asset like West Madsen is uh, also uh, a very positive thing, I think. Well, I want to thank you very much, Chris, for being with us. Very exciting story. I hope we can have you back in another few months or so to uh, discuss your latest discoveries. It's, it's fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us. Folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Uh, Dr. Quentin Henning of Novo Resources will be with me to talk about that very exciting uh, story, uh, the uh, unique Whitwaters Rand-like deposit that they are working on in Western Australia. So don't go away. I'll be right back with Dr. Quentin Henning. Triumph Gold holds a 100% interest in the district-scale Free Gold Mountain Gold Copper Project in Yukon with a government-maintained road accessing their 200-square-kilometer property. The 2018 drill program has resulted in exciting discoveries to date, hitting the richest intersection ever in a porphyry system in Yukon. The company is well-funded and has a large institutional holding, including Gold Corp and Zijin Mining. Triumph trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol TIG and the OTC markets TIGCF. The website is triumphgoldcorp.com. Uranium Energy Corp, NYSE, American UEC, is America's emerging uranium producer. The company is 100% unhedged and has fully permitted and licensed processing plant and production-ready uranium assets in South Texas and Wyoming. With a rising uranium spot price, UEC is positioned to lead and supply to the U.S. uranium requirements ahead. Visit uraniumenergy.com and on Twitter at Uranium Energy. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Dr. Quentin Henning with me once again to give us an update on the extraordinary gold discovery taking place 
in the Pilbara Basin of Western Australia. Uh, Quentin, of course, is heading up Novo Resources. We've had them on the show a number of times in the past. They are a sponsor to the show. And uh, actually, one of my top holdings is a company that I have been extremely excited about, watching uh, the developments take place. As we discussed with Dr. Henning several times on this show in the past, it was his out-of-the-box thinking in terms of how the Great Whitwaters ran gold deposit in South Africa was formed that took him to Western Australia in an effort to discover another great gold deposit of similar origin. For investors who may not know, something like uh, 35 or 40 percent of all the gold ever mined in history um, has come out of the Whitwaters Rand in South Africa, and Dr. Henning uh, defied conventional wisdom among his uh, geologist peers, and lo and behold, he has discovered an exceptionally large conglomerate gold system, perhaps somewhat akin, not exactly like, but uh, somewhat akin to the great Whitwaters Rand deposit. Uh, of course, this is a story that's in its infancy. Uh, it's unfolding as we speak. While the share price of Novo has fallen from its 2017 peak, uh, as the sensationalism of the discovery has given way to the hard work of learning how to sample and mine a gold deposit that is far different than anything else uh, encountered, Dr. Henning and his team are moving forward on several fronts. Investors need to be aware of what Dr. Henning and Novo Resources are up to if they wish to participate in what I think is uh, potentially a very enormous gold discovery uh, and one that may make people wealthy. Um, at least that's what our hope is. Uh, and this is all taking place now. So I'm really pleased to have Dr. Henning with me. Again, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Jay. Um, Several years ago, you started your work in Australia on a project known as Beaton's Creek, and then came the spectacular disclosure of a field of large nuggets in conglomerate rock some, I don't know, 100 or so kilometers to the west of your, uh, of your Beaton's Creek project. That uh, is known now that project, um, well, one of those projects anyway, is Comet Well, your primary focus there. It was your alert involvement in that discovery that caused your stock to take off like a rocket in 2017. More recently, you also picked up some ground in an area a bit to the east of Comet, well known as Egina. But you were also, once again, very active, moving uh, to back to Beaton's Creek. Uh, so which of these projects uh, would you say are, are your major focus right now? And, and then perhaps, uh, Quentin, take a few minutes to... Describe what you're doing with each of those three areas. Yeah, you know, Jay, um, I'd, I'd really encourage people to think of what we're doing here in a holistic way because really this is all one big gold system. Uh, it's just like you said. It's a basin-wide system. Uh, these different occurrences that we're working on are all part of that basin, and they're simply separated by space. There's actually uh, many, many prospects and, and other known gold occurrences here and there. In, in areas between and around these these uh, main areas of focus for us. But, but right now we've got really three levels. I, I, I'd include people to think of three levels of uh, exploration going on. Uh, Beaton's Creek, as you said, was where we started. We, uh, we picked up Beaton's Creek. It was a historic mining center. There were no conglomerates. A lot of people here in Australia, I think, viewed them as, as challenging. They were known to be nuggety. Uh, they were viewed as erratic and so forth. But we, we've we come in, we did uh, some, you know, innovative geology and sampling and so forth over the next few years, and we managed to to put a resource together. I think 2015 we had a resource on the order of uh, 550 or 600,000 ounces at that point. Anyway, to fast forward, we, uh, like you said, moved over to Comet Well. That's obviously a big for focus for us now. Uh, but we also learned a lot on on the way. So when we went to Comet Well, we started taking some even more innovative uh, sampling um, approaches, you know, bulk samples and so forth. We also undertook considerable diamond drilling to evaluate geology. And as we did this, we realized that we could probably apply some of the same principles that we were using at Comet Well to Beaton's Creek. So we we did a program late last year where we went back to Beaton's Creek and we felt we could enhance the resource dramatically by uh, doing some bulk sample work as well as uh, diamond drilling and, and really reevaluating some of the RC drilling, the reverse circulation drilling that we did a few years ago. We dropped cameras down the RC holes 
these cameras, you know, could take pictures or images off the walls of the, the holes. And we, we then learned uh, a lot more about the geology. In essence, we were able to uh, dr- draw a brand new model, like a, a wireframe model of the conglomerate beds. Uh, we were able to connect the dots from hole to hole to hole across the entire, um, you know, upper part of the basin system there at Beaton's Creek. And we have now remarkably uh, developed a very high confidence around the, the model. And we're, you know, imminently, say in the next four to six weeks, going to issue a new resource based on this work. Um, it's, you know, as I see it, it's remarkable. We've used an iterative approach to exploration. We've come back to Beaton's Creek, applied what we've learned, and I think we'll, we'll uh, truly put a new, a new resource out there that's going to make people sit up and take note of these uh, deposits. Yeah, I noticed uh, in your press release that just came out uh, this past week, you talked about uh, those bulk samples that you took at Beaton's Creek uh, and I think it's some 45 bulk samples, and you have another 20 to go, or something like that. But the uh, the weighted mean average was 2.55 grams of gold per ton, which is pretty similar to the average grades that you were picking up. I think before what you had in your 43101 resource. But uh, do you feel that you maybe are now getting a pretty good handle on the distribution of gold at Beaton's Creek? We do. Um, these give us a lot of confidence uh, to see, you know, uh, a, a lot of samples. Like you said, 45 samples generate a, a weighted mean average of 2.55 grams, and and that effectively confirms uh, what was uh, data that we've collected in the past, but but of, of lesser quality. Okay, so this this really gives us a high assurance. Uh, but what's really neat now, Jay, is that we can take, you know, mathematically in, in, in the computer, we can take a lot of that grade and, and then distribute it through this new wireframe model uh, in ways that we couldn't previously. So now we're, we're looking at expanding the resource at Beaton's Creek, uh, hopefully dramatically. Yeah, and interestingly enough, you had an image with your, um, you had some, you know, some illustrations in your press release that showed the updated wireframe model, and it looked to me like it's vastly larger and, and more uh, continuous. That's correct. Yes, it is. Uh, it is uh, a shallow deposit. What's really intriguing about Beaton's Creek is that it's, you know, most of it's within a few meters or a few tens of meters of surface. Uh, it's basically, think of it like flat coal seams or something like this. You know, you can, you can mine this quite easily. Uh, the gold Tends to be free milling. It you know it's not bound up in other minerals like sulfides and stuff. It's a very very ideal deposit. I think uh, this is one of, going to turn out to be one of the highest quality open pitable deposits uh, in Australia. A pretty darn good average grade to start with, but um, all those other factors that we've talked about before, uh, the ease of metallurgy and so forth, um, could be a, a pretty high margin project, I would think, and. Do you have any idea when you might come out with some economic studies on this uh, on this project, Quentin? Yeah, look, uh, we're going to put this resource together and then uh, look at different economic uh, scenarios that we might apply to it. Uh, some of the work we're doing right now does include metallurgy, and particularly on the fresher uh, rock material. And uh, once we get that, I think we can start to put economic models together. You know, say at, at a a preliminary economic evaluation level, something like that. Okay. Um, so right now, that seems to be your main focus at this moment is Beaton's Creek. Is that correct in saying that? It's it is, but it's not because we're we're you know neglecting the other properties. It is hot up here. It's the hot hot part of the summer. Uh, so we and it's also wet in in, in during this time of year. Uh, it's been raining in Edina, for example. So it's just, it's not uh, an ideal place to work in a remote setting uh, at this time of year. So we're taking a break from some of the field work, but we are gearing up the work at Edina, uh, where we, we left off with the bulk sampling uh, late last year. Um, we're very switched on to expanding what we know about Edina through additional bulk sampling this year. And, you know, we do have an allowance to move some dirt in there so we can do some 
you know, small test scale mining and things like that. It's a granted mining lease. I think what people should understand about Edgina is that uh, it's, although it's different than the conglomerate deposits because it's loose material, uh, it's geologically, it's actually very similar. It's basically uh, a gravel horizon that sits right at surface, uh, easily dug with an excavator, uh, and it's the erosional products of the conglomerates that surround the, the area. So as time went on, the, the conglomerates erode away, and all of that gold that was locked up in them has been washed down onto the flats and, and constituted in this gravel horizon. So it's, it's just an absolutely incredibly exciting deposit. And the thought that this thing could be uh, yet another vast gold system as a, we'll call it a, an extension of the, the conglomerate story is really, really exciting. Uh, so it's, so this thing has some scale to it, Quentin? Uh, yes, Edgina, look, uh, we, we did work in what I would call a, you know, postage stamp area, um, last year. It's the mining lease, which is, you know, it's still a few square kilometers, but the terrace itself, this, this target area covers literally hundreds of square kilometers. We, we hold something like 950 square kilometers in the area. Uh, a lot of it is this terrace ground. Uh, but the, the terrace is a big, big target. You know, this is something for, you know, it, it's almost mind-boggling. <laughs> so yes. so you have uh, permits to do limited bulk sampling, I guess, at this stage. And, and do you need to make some arrangements with the, uh, with the natives uh, to, to get larger-scale permits in place? Or what remains to be done there before you can look at this yeah. in a larger scale? That's a good question. So because we have the mining lease, we and we do have allowance to, to move some tons on that, I believe 50,000 tons this year, uh, we can do some of that work that you mentioned. But, you know, we do have a vision towards moving this to a, a much larger scale, you know, say something on the order of uh, a million-plus ton test mine at some point. And to do that, we do have to, to work with the natives. You know, you always have a component of heritage clearance where, you make sure that you're not going to disturb any known artifacts or sacred sites, things like this. Uh, and then ultimately, you also have to have commercial agreement with, with the natives. Uh, we are in those negotiations. We're working on that as well as environmental permitting, uh, it, really in, because we believe that this system is there and that we're going to you know, progress this thing to a trial mining phase. So in our view, we're, we're taking this fast forward. Okay, so Comet Well then, and, and back, uh, how far away is Comet Well from Edgina? It's 130 kilometers uh, to the west of Edgina, so it gives you a sense of scale, you know, and, and we do know the conglomerates at Edgina are effectively the same horizon of conglomerates that we see at Comet Well, so, you know, once again, the, the scale of these things is kind of mind-boggling. That's incredible, and Beaton's Creek, further east yet, how far is Beaton's Creek from Edgina to the east? From Edgina, it's uh, it's southeast from Edgina. It's yeah. about 180 kilometers. So, in Good effect, uh, Comet Well and Beaton's Creek are about 300 kilometers, I think. <laughs> and would, do you say that the Beaton's Creek is part of the same system? Uh, yes, it's a little higher in the stratigraphy, but overall it's part of the same package of rock, absolutely. Oh, that's just incredible. All right, well, Comet Well, then, that's where, where all the excitement uh, came and in that area that drove your share price uh, to the moon, well, not exactly to the moon, drove it up dramatically higher, uh, and allowed you to raise some serious money in 2017. Uh, where does that stand now? Because um, I, I know it's the extreme nugget issues there, and you're doing some stuff with, you're doing some experiments with, um, uh, with sorting, which is very exciting, I think, new technologies, new computer uh, power, and so forth that allows you to do things you never could have done in the past, but talk to us about Comet Well, and what are your plans this year for Comet Well? Yes, yeah, so the, the sorting is actually a key component because that is potentially uh, a way we can treat things both at a test level, you know, test test scale like mine level, as well as a, a potentially a future commercial level. All right, so we are continuing the work on sorting. I believe the initial test results tell us uh, it, it will work. We're looking at how we can introduce that at a test level. We had also we're also targeting doing some test mining at Comet Well. 
uh, as well as, you know, continue with the native title negotiations. We have a mineralization report we'll, we'll be filing shortly. All the, the important steps that I've talked about in the past around converting the exploration licenses to mining licenses so that we can get in there and, and do some aggressive test mining and ultimately, uh, you know, get in and hopefully build a, a mine around that. Can you give us give our listeners just a quick sense of why sorting is so essential, so important in terms of the potential economics of uh, at Comet Well? You know, Jay, it's it's remarkable. The coarse gold thing has been a pain, you know, painful exercise trying to quantify grade, but it's a blessing when it comes to processing. Okay, uh, imagine crushing up rock. You know, you have a, a little bit of uh, a nugget occasionally in in rock in these rocks. Well. Imagine you put a ton of rock through a machine, and the the rock the machine picks out you know a precious few rocks, maybe mm-hmm. you know a kilogram of rock out of that ton mm-hmm. that has most of your gold in it. Imagine that. Okay, mm-hmm. think about the man. It's just absolutely remarkable. This could change the not not just Comet Well, but uh, gold mining in general. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of coarse gold deposits around the planet that could potentially be sorted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's, and, and then you avoid moving all that uh, that waste rock around and, and the cost, I guess, reducing the cost dramatically. Um, it, it, corporately, just in general, uh, Quentin, um, how, how, how are you doing for money? And, and what is your burn rate? Because I know you're active, you're very active, and maybe now you're not out in the field and doing a lot of drilling and stuff now, but you're still... How how are you set for cash going forward into 2019? Sure, we have uh, approximately 40, 42 or three million dollars at present. We have about uh, 13 million in warrants that are due to exercise uh, by, I believe, the first of May. Uh, those are well within the money. Uh, we are generating some excitement. I think there'll be some uh, a few events that trigger some liquidity and help process those, but. Most of those warrants are held by uh, long-term shareholders who know what we're doing. They're very supportive. Um, I would say that uh, we are very fortunate. You know, I, the way I view it, we have effectively over $50 million in the bank to, to work with with those warrants, and uh, that's key. You know, moving these projects forward is going to take a bit of time and, and innovation, but we have the ability to do it and also the right people. You also... Um have some memorandum of understanding with Sumitomo, I believe. Could would you care to talk about that just for a moment? Sure. Look, Sumitomo is uh, a very good partner. Japanese are generally good partners as a whole. Uh, they they're very much aligned with the company. They like to come in usually in a minority position, uh, put money up, but they're aligned because they want to see production. Okay, uh, they're not around you know playing stock or they're not you know trying to tickets and what all you know a lot of these financiers do they're dedicated partners who will stick with you for the long term mm-hmm. and that's love uh, and this memorandum of understanding means that they have the right to come in I guess uh, if they want to finance development and so forth right it, it, it says that we agree to work with them uh, you know basically on a first rights basis to allow them to look at ways to finance our operation of course you know it's it has to be approved by our board as well but sure. uh, these are you know it's basically an agreement to agree to work together in a friendly way to advance these projects all right um, maybe just in wrapping up here Quentin can you give us a sense of what investors should really be watching for in the next uh, few few weeks and months? Yeah, look, uh, at, at Beaton's Creek, definitely look for that resource in a few weeks' time. Uh, Edgina, look for the start of the, the work program, in the, in, again, in a few weeks' time once the rainy season's done. Uh, Comet Well, we have the mineralization report and other uh, ish, you know, items around uh, uh, sorting and, and how we're going to progress trial mining, things like that. So in the short term, look for all of those items. Very good. Well, it's uh, exciting for sure. Um you know, I know that's a lot of hard work, and, and uh, mining is always a lot of science goes into what you're doing, obviously more than ever, because the, uh, the easy goal to find on just laying on top of the ground is long gone, and now you got to find ways to, to get the mineral out of the ground. Um, 
it's a fascinating story. Quentin, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, hope to keep up with you in the future. Thank you, Jay. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, I expect to have Alistair McLeod with me to talk about the prospects of a gold-backed global monetary system, when, not if, the existing global monetary system breaks down. Bill Pincus, the president of Merrimont Resources, will join me as well to talk about another uh, project that Quentin Henning is involved with, actually. Uh, he's the chairman of Merrimont, and that's uh, uh, that's the project is in uh, Peru. It's a copper-gold project. Very exciting story. Uh, and Michael Oliver hopefully will be with us as well. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Gold Mining, Inc., ticker symbol G-O-L-D on the T-S-X and G-L-D-L-F on the O-T-C is the biggest bet for gold investors and legendary investors like Doug Casey, Rick Rule, and Marin Katusa, who put millions of dollars into backing the company, along with institutional investors. The insiders own over 20%. Gold mining has strong cash and no debt. It's one of the top 1% of gold companies that has over 20 million ounces of gold resources. Visit goldmining.com. Often referred to as one of the best teams in junior gold exploration, having discovered a 5 million ounce gold mine and sold a second company amidst discovery, the management behind Orin Resources now has a world-class exploration portfolio within Canada and Peru. Projects that give the company one of the largest direct pipelines for major discoveries globally, with one of the deepest technical teams to explore them. Entering into its third year of aggressive pursuit, Orin is expecting results from two of their major projects throughout the rest of this year. For the latest, head to orinresources.com and subscribe.